I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. emergence of tyrosine kinase inhibitors represented a major advance in the fight against cancer, but the ability of tumors to mutate and develop resistance to these therapies remains a challenge. Thesis Pharmaceuticals is developing what it calls pan-variant kinase inhibitors in the hopes of outsmarting tumors by anticipating the range of kinases that may drive their spread and growth as they change. We spoke to Tim Claxon, President and CEO of Theseus, about its structural-based approach to drug development, how it determines the appropriate targets for its pan-variant kinase inhibitors, and why it believes its next-generation TKIs can overcome the challenge of drug resistance. Tim, thanks for joining us. That's a pleasure to be with you. We're going to talk about resistance in cancer, tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and thesis pharmaceuticals efforts to develop what it calls pan kinase inhibitors to address treatment resistant tumors. Let's start with kinases. What are they? How varied are they? And, and what role do they play in human biology? You can think of kinases as, if you like, the, the master control proteins that orchestrate. Um, many important things in, in the cells of our body. There are about 500 kinases um, encoded in the human genome, and they have a huge range of, of jobs. But in, in essence, what their job is, is to transfer signals from one part of the cell to another part of the cell so that the cell can, can respond to, to, um, to a signal from outside, for example. So it could be the presence of a of a nutrient that makes a cell grow. Um, it could be notification that there's a different kind of cell next to that cell. So think of a kinase as a, as a messenger that picks up an important message and takes it to where it needs to be um, uh, inside the cell. They, they underpin essentially every kind of biology that occurs um, in our bodies. And so, as you can, as you can imagine, they are, they are important players. In the case of cancers, what role do kinases play in the uh, growth and, and spread of tumors? So kinases were one of the first types of uh, what's called oncogenes that um, were really fingered as being involved in, in cancer. So an oncogene is, is a gene that when it is mutated, suddenly turns a cell into a cancer cell. The hallmark of, of a cancer cell is uncontrolled growth. So it doesn't know when to stop. Most other cells in our body uh, are carefully programmed to grow when they need to grow and to stop growing when they're done. And that gets ripped up in the case of cancer. When scientists started looking for genes that um, could be found to be mutated in cancer, up popped uh, kinases. So this is 
the, the normal kinase sequence that you, normal, that you would find uh, in any cell, but there was a telltale mutation in that kinase. And it turns out that what that does is it basically revs up the kinase. Usually what you see is a mutation called an activating mutation that turns the kinase on so that, and stops it turning off. So it's on all the time. And, uh, and so you have, for example, a kinase that normally would tell a cell to grow. Uh, in normal physiology, it would be on for a short time and then the cell would grow and then, it would, then the kinase would turn off and it would stop. In a cancer, it's on all the time. So the cells keep growing and, and obviously bad things happen. So it turns out that, that many kinases uh, are actually oncogenes. So genes that when they're mutated, uh, essentially cause cancer either on their own or in combination with other oncogenes. We've seen the advent of a class of targeted therapies known as tyrosine kinase inhibitors or TKIs about 20 years ago with the approval of Gleevec. How have these therapies changed cancer care and how effective have they been? For those tumor types where there is uh, a very clear tyrosine kinase target, so tyrosine kinase refers to a kinase that, that um, specifically adds, acts on an amino acid called tyrosine um, in proteins. If you have a situation where that the disease is driven by that one kinase, TKIs have been revolutionary. So you, you mentioned Gleevec. Gleevec is a molecule uh, that's been used now for over two decades to treat a disease called chronic myeloid leukemia or CML. Prior to the advent of Gleevec as a tyrosine kinase inhibitor, those patients had debilitating chemotherapy, um, very, very toxic biological drugs, and unfortunately, the survival was short, uh, just a couple of years. Now, with Gleevec and subsequent molecules that, that have been designed as, as improved uh, inhibitors uh, of the same target as, as Gleevec, patients in many cases with CML can have a normal lifespan. In fact, I've had the privilege of meeting some patients who've, who've been on that journey um, and have had decades of of life compared to what would have been expected. So it's a revolution. And um, in that case where the, the, the single target of the, of the molecule is the cause of the disease, uh, it's been literally a lifesaver. One challenge for TKIs has been the ability of tumors to mutate and render once effective therapies ineffective as the tumors develop resistance. What happens in those cases? Yes, so that is the Achilles heel of, of any TKI of, of, a, of a tyrosine kinase inhibitor, and in fact, really, of any cancer treatment. And the reason is that, that cancers um, adhere to the, to the laws of natural selection. And if you uh, apply a selective pressure uh, that is uh, against that cell, and in this case, a, a kinase inhibitor that is preventing it from growing, it's gonna find a way of wriggling out. The easiest way to, for a cancer cell that's inhibited by a TKI to become resistant is for a mutation to emerge right there in the kinase, in the target that's being bound by the drug that stops the drug from, from binding. So uh, 
what, what you invariably see uh, in treatment, for example, with Gleevec in CML, is that you see a, a mutation on the target of Gleevec, and the name of that protein is BCR-ABLE, and you'll see a mutation that basically stops Gleevec working. At that point, uh, you have uh, resistance, and there's no point in going on with Gleevec. You need um, a, a different approach. This is a, a pattern we've seen repeated again and again, and it's it can be, of course, extremely um, disappointing and depressing for, for patients who have had such a, a dramatic response in their initial therapy, and then to see that that is subsiding. You're taking an approach to develop what you call pan-variant targeted therapies that address all known drug-resistant mutations. What's the case for this approach? But yes, we, we believe that pan-variant inhibition is the way to go. So let me take a step back and, and talk about what, what, what we mean by that. Uh, when, when you have these resistance mutations occur in a patient, they can be of many different flavors. So in treatment with Gleevec in the disease CML, uh, scientists have documented over 50 different individual mutations that you can find on the target protein um, and any one of those can stop Gleevec from working. So the approach that was taken uh, in the years after Gleevec's development was to find better drugs that perhaps were able to overcome those mutants, those variants. And there was success in doing that, but unfortunately we really entered into an arms race really. It's a constant fight against the tumor. So second generation inhibitors were developed that are able to hit some of the mutations that emerge after treating with Gleevec, but then mutations emerge that create resistance to those second generation molecules. And so scientists, in fact, the, the group of scientists now at Theseus in our prior company, Ariad, we developed the first third generation TKI that could overcome all of those mutations. Um, and so that's the challenge. You need to always find a molecule that is able to hit not just one, but any of the, of the mutations that could occur, uh, and hence the phrase pan. So doing that, unfortunately, is, is, uh, is easier said than done. I think of drug developers who are working to discover new TKIs, screening large libraries of compounds against targets. What's the discovery process for Theseus? Are you scouring libraries of compounds or are you designing molecules to hit specific targets? Yeah, so we, uh, all of those approaches work well. And we take the approach of uh, a, a large degree of what we call structure-based drug design. So that's rational design using atomic level uh, maps of, of what the targets look like to understand at that, at that high level how, the, how our drug candidates are binding. And then we, we tweak them, we look again at how they're binding, we test how they're, how they're working in cells, and we repeat the cycle. So I would say instead of screening very large compound libraries and just, uh, just seeing what you get, our approach is, if you like, more to, to handcraft the molecules and carefully uh, engineer them to have this pan-variant property. It's not something that you typically um, can stumble upon 
by just screening compounds. You have to be more structurally thoughtful. One of the challenges of TKIs is that kinases exist throughout the body and serve important biologic functions. How much of a concern is the potential for off-target effects from such an approach? That's, that's always been a concern uh, or an element of, of thinking for kinase inhibitors. In fact, I recall um, just at the time that Gleevec was developed as the first tyrosine kinase inhibitor, um, there, there was a lot of skepticism that that would even be possible safely because um, as I mentioned, there are 500 different kinases uh, within humans. And there was significant concern that, that, that any kinase inhibitor would just be a sledgehammer that would have so, such broad effects on so many kinases in the body that it would be toxic and you'd never have um, a therapeutic window, an ability to dose and get therapy. So that was proved comprehensively to be wrong and, um, and the rest is history. It turns out that if you have a, an appropriately um, selective molecule that, that primarily binds to the right kinases, then you can in fact have great therapy with, with manageable side effects. However, it is generally beneficial to hit as few kinases as possible. And usually you have to think hard about which ones are most important um, to avoid. So this has become a key part of, of any kinase inhibitor discovery operation. You will carefully analyze the activity of your molecules as you're optimizing them against many, many other different kinases, usually at least 300 of the 500 you would regularly screen against. And, um, and indeed, in, in many cases, you do want to spend some time to make sure you avoid targeting um, an undesired, an undesired kinase. Uh, having said that, we've learned a lot over the last 20 years, and we as a, as a, as a community of scientists and, um, and drug discoverers have now learned a lot of tricks about how to hone in just on one or a few kinases. And that's critically important if we want to reach the full potential of this molecular class where we would aim to, to keep the diseases um, the patients have at bay for years. So chronic dosing and safety becomes very important. Is the expectation that these therapies would be used in conjunction with some kind of tumor profiling to ensure the therapy is appropriate for a particular patient? Tumor profiling has become a, a huge part of, of the best way to use these molecules, for sure. Um, another phrase that's been used to describe that is precision oncology. And this really stems from the the fact that we know in many cases, CML again is another example, um, exactly which, which, kinase is, is the which kinase is the bad guy. So if you can discover um, that, that mutant kinase in patients by screening, then you can, um, you can know you'll, you have a much greater chance of helping that patient. Now for a disease like CML, where uh, the only cause of that disease is a mutation, in the BCR able target, you don't really need strong patient sequencing. Merely the, the diagnosis of CML is enough. But what's emerged over the last few years is the very exciting uh, realization that even in um, more common and uh, diffuse tumor types, so non-small cell lung cancer, for example, there are rare 
um, more rare uh, patient um, examples where you have a very specific kinase that's been activated. And they, this may only be, let's say, 1% of the population. Uh, so targets uh, known as RET or FGFR, for example, these are all kinases that are found to be activated in rare patients. If you can identify those patients, they have a, um, a much better chance of responding to those targeted drugs. And the, so this is the, uh, the precision oncology promise. And we are thankfully at the stage now um, in many uh, health centers in the US where patients coming in with a lung cancer diagnosis would be routinely screened for the presence of kinase mutations. And um, the hope of course, is that becomes uh, commonplace because it, it offers a great benefit um, and efficiency uh, for the healthcare system to make sure you can get the right drug directly to that patient. Well, let's talk about your lead program, THE630, for advanced gastrointestinal stromal tumors, or GIST. What is GIST? How is it treated today? And what's the prognosis for patients with the condition? GIST is a, is a challenging type of tumor that's found uh, in the in the gastrointestinal system, as you described, it's a, it's a sarcoma. About 5,000 patients are diagnosed with, with newly discovered GIST each year in the US. It's thankfully one of the types of tumors where we have a good understanding of what goes wrong. And again, it's a kinase, almost invariably a kinase that's called KIT, um, that gets a mutation and that essentially causes the disease. So we've known that for 20 years. Um, and in fact, it turns out that Gleevec, the CML drug, also has some activity against KIT. And so it's used to treat patients in the initial setting. With treatment with Gleevec, patients can um, proceed uh, with, with, uh, without any progression of their disease for at least a year and a half. So that's, that's good. Certainly much better than it was prior to TKIs. But then, uh, just as we were discussing with other, other settings, you see mutations in KIT that cause resistance. And then patients are treated with a series of other molecules that don't um, treat the full types of, of mutations that you see, and the response rates are very low. Eventually, unfortunately, most patients, just patients will run out of options and succumb to their disease. So despite the fact that we know exactly what's going on in patients from a biological point of view, we've not yet come up with, with a molecule uh, or in the, in, um, that's, that's been approved yet that can finally address all of these resistance mutations in, uh, in GIST. And how predictable are the mutations once, once a patient's treated? It's it's a it's a pretty well known set of mutations. So the, it it looks as if GISTs have a limited playbook that they can follow in order to to drive um, to drive resistance. So there are two particular kind of initial mutations you see, and then uh, upon treatment with Gleevec, you see another set of mutations added on top of that. But the problem is in 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 GIST. Uh, you, you end up with a, a mixture of different uh, uh, mutations. So you can have one part of a, of a patient's GIST tumor that has mutation uh, A, if you like, and then another 
part close by that evolved in a different way, and that has mutation B. And in fact, in a different tumor, you might have C. So if you treat uh, that patient with a drug that is able to hit the A and the B variants, but not the C, then you will, of course, see uh, mutation C coming up. And it's very much like a whack-a-mole uh, situation. So if, if you imagine, um, if you don't hit all the moles at once, then there's going to be one mole that, that grows rapidly. That's, that's the problem in GIST. You have lots of mutations, lots of moles, and, um, and that's, that's really what we've gone after with uh, THE 630. Well, what exactly is THE 630 and, and how does it work? THE 630 is our pan-variant inhibitor that we have designed carefully to, to be pan-variant. And we've shown in our model studies that the, the molecule is able to inhibit any of those complex mutations that I mentioned. So the A, the B, the C that I used in the prior example. And we've shown that, that the molecule is able to do that at levels which we were able to safely achieve in the, in the non-clinical setting in our, in our preclinical models. That's in contrast to any of the currently approved agents, which includes Gleevec and three other approved agents. Each of those has one or more mutational Achilles heels that prevents the drug from binding. And in fact, that's what drives resistance when patients are treated with those agents. Our hope is that treatment with THE 630 will be able to break that cycle finally. And that in, in late stage patients where patients have already had treatment with multiple drugs that we can rescue the disease by finally bringing all of those mutations under the control um, of the drug. Uh, Long-term, we would have ambitions beyond that, but that's our initial hope that we can help patients in the latest line of therapy. Theseus began a phase one, two study of the THE 630 in just in January. This is a dose escalation study. What's known about its safety and efficacy from preclinical studies? We were able to show in our, in our preclinical studies that the molecule does indeed effectively inhibit uh, each of the mutations that, that can be found. And that was shown both in animal models and also in careful screens that we run of, uh, of cell lines that each of which is engineered to have a specific mutation. So that's very encouraging. The other question, of course, is do we have an appropriate window for dosing the molecule safely? And we validated that in several ways, including showing that the molecule has good selectivity um, with respect to other molecules in the, in the kinome, other, either other kinases that are present in humans. And also that we were able to dose at and above the levels that we predict would give us pan inhibition. So in the clinical study, we will be looking to validate that by showing that the molecule can safely be dosed. This is an oral drug, so it's once daily pill. And we'll be looking to see whether we can sustain those pan-variant levels in the blood in patients, and then to study whether we can um, indeed see those individual mutations being treated and going away in response to the drug. We'll hopefully have the first data from that study available in the first half of next year in 2023. And what's the clinical path forward? Once we've identified the, the recommended dose to take forward from THE 630, um, that, and that's the, the, the first aim really of the study. 
then we, we branch out into an expansion uh, studying the molecule in specific GIST populations. So that would include uh, the latest line. So that's fifth line, patients who've been treated with four with the four approved therapies. We also will be interested in looking at patients in the second line. So those are patients who have experienced failure of Gleevec, but have not been treated with any other agent. And the rationale for that is, is that if you truly have a pan-variant inhibitor, then the best place to use it is as early as possible to try and, if you like, to try and keep the genie in the bottle. You want to try and prevent mutations from coming out in the first place. That's the, the greatest promise of a pan-variant inhibitor to keep mutations at bay and provide patients, we hope, with a very long time before any kind of progression can occur. So we will look at both of those populations, fifth line and second line. Um, and then after discussing with the FDA, we would design and run uh, a registrational trial where we would hope to, to validate the activity and safety in those settings before applying for marketing authorization. The company raised $100 million in a, a venture round in April. How far will existing funding take you? So we are lucky enough to have funding that will allow us to clearly get to readouts from our initial clinical trial of, of THE630, as well as driving other, other programs. In addition to our, our venture round uh, earlier last year, we were able to um, bring in further funds through an IPO in the fall. And so together that funding takes us uh, into the second half of 2024, which is uh, well beyond the first half of 23 timeline uh, where we anticipate first data available from, uh, from THE 630. And what's the strategy for building out your pipeline? How are you going about selecting indications? We are, we are very attracted to settings where there's very clear biology associated with a particular tumor type where there's no doubt about the kinase target that we need to hit and where there's a, an, an inadequacy with current therapies. The pan variant approach is broadly applicable to many of these settings. So the idea of finally breaking the cycle of, of resistance. So we've, we've um, built a pipeline uh, behind our THE 630 lead program that reflects that. We have a a second program that is um, targeting EGFR, which is a, a kinase that is mutated in a substantial portion of non-small cell lung cancers. And again, we have first, second, and third generation molecules that progressively have improved treatment, but you still see resistance caused by mutations. We will be nominating our pan-variant inhibitor candidate uh, imminently in just a few months, and then we'll, we will conduct studies to allow us to file an IND next year, which would allow us to begin clinical testing. So our strategy is to take these molecules into the patient testing setting ourselves. Um, and ideally, we would be looking to bring, all, bring these molecules all the way through to filing for FDA approval. The Theseus team has experience of doing this in our prior, um, prior work at, at Ariad Pharmaceuticals. And so we were looking to recapitulate that and bring the molecules 
to, to the market and to patients, certainly in the US. And is the expectation that you'll be doing all this on your own or are you looking to partnerships at all? Our, our aim is to, is to do it uh, internally with respect to the US market for sure. Uh, again, this is a, an approach where we have a lot of experience, a lot of understanding. Um, the, we, we would always be open-minded as we move further down into, into late-stage clinical testing to uh, collaborate potentially with partners that have expertise outside of that area. And I think that would be an, that, that's an important strategic um, decision that the company would take uh, as we go further down. But our, our default state for sure is to um, seek to bring these molecules to, to patients, certainly in the US ourselves, and to have that as a, as a seamless um, integrated process uh, with Theseus becoming, um, becoming a commercial stage company in, in the oncology space. Tim Claxon, president and CEO of Theseus Pharmaceuticals. Tim, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.